Hello and welcome. This is a podcast of ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org, and I'm joined by my colleague, analyst and journalist, Maxim Panchenko. Good afternoon, Maxim. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for joining me together. Um, to our listeners, I would like to announce that we are starting a series of monthly podcasts in which we take stock of what happened in Ukraine in the past month. And today we'll be talking about January, January 2021, 2021, right? And uh, Yes, indeed, yes. What happened basically in January. So, Maxim, uh, what do you think? What were the key events in Ukraine in January? Well, first of all, we need to talk about the developments around coronavirus virus because we had a lockdown and the vaccine topic is on top of the headlines. We also have to uh, talk about the domestic uh, politics, the, the recent decision of President Zelensky to block the three uh, TV channels uh, because this is a part of a very important issue in Ukraine, which is Russian disinformation. We will also have to talk about the case around MP Dubinsky because it is also a crisis of a sort uh, in Ukrainian domestic policy and also linked to international developments in the US and we'll try to cover Ukraine relations, uh, the agenda of it and the recent developments in the uh, Council of Europe because it also tackles the issue between Ukraine and Russia. That's very good. That's a very good plan. And let's indeed cover these issues. As you, our listeners, can see and hear, we, we will be trying to talk both about internal and foreign policy. And I will be more commenting on internal affairs, while Maxim will comment more on the foreign affairs. Yes. So speaking of domestic developments, let's take a snapshot of where Ukraine currently stands in its fight against the pandemic. A couple of weeks ago, Ukraine came out of another lockdown. And these days, where are what are the stats of new cases and what are they compared to pre-lockdown figures? What is the situation with the vaccines? Where would they come from? And what would be the dates of that? Well, it's very interesting because Ukraine currently didn't have the increase of cases as we were expecting. And it could have happened basically if we have looked at the dynamics, for example, in autumn. Uh, so uh, at that time, I remember the words by uh, Ukrainian officials saying that, look, if we have 10,000 cases, cases per day, 8,000 cases per day, 12,000 cases per day. That can be a real challenge for Ukrainian health system. Now, we don't have this. We don't. We, we have rather several thousand cases. And uh, it's basically what makes Ukraine probably different from many other countries of the, of the world. So, contrary to many other Western European countries, Ukraine didn't impose a lockdown during holidays. So, during the holidays, people could travel a lot, people could go skiing, people could meet outside, etc. And this raised uh, lots of concerns about, you know, public health, because when we look at Germany, when we look at, you know, Czech Republic, when we look at other countries, we see a very strict lockdown precisely during holidays, and they started reopening after the holidays. So, Ukrainian approach was different. Ukraine imposed a lockdown after the holidays, and now we have recently, uh, we have, you know, at the end of January, we, ha we had this lockdown down finished. So probably it did work and, and, and we did have lower number of cases, but of course we, we need to look. 
Yeah, sure. And uh, well, what about the vaccines? What are the prospects of Ukrainians being vaccinated? Any dates, any issues around that? Look, Maxim, this is a very, you know, very sensitive topic and a very, I would say, it creates a lot of pain in Ukraine because, uh, you know, you, you can see immediately from the vaccination topic that, you know, it's also about geopolitics. It's about geopolitics of health. Uh, and we need to be ass- we need to be aware of this aspect too, which was brought by the COVID pandemics. Because uh, Ukraine is, of course, between different options. It, it doesn't have its own vaccine. It is between different options of either taking Western vaccines, but the problem is that, of course, the Western countries are thinking primarily about their own citizens, and Ukraine is negotiating with primarily with the European Union to get some surpluses that these countries have, and we will surely talk about that. Or Ukraine it can take Russian vaccine, the Sputnik V vaccine, uh, which is, uh, you know, also a subject of a huge Russian and Russian propaganda, because Russians are saying, and Russian TV channels are constantly saying that this is a very important point in their propaganda. Ukraine, due to these political, you know, considerations, doesn't want to take the Russian vaccine, and therefore it puts its citizens at risk, and therefore look at the bad Ukrainian government, all these fascists, anti-Russians, etc., etc. And the other option is is basically Chinese vaccine, or several options from China, which, uh, you know, the Chinese vaccine that Ukraine first subscribed to had some issues with its efficiency, and, and there is, you know, talk about whether it is efficient enough, what is well tested, etc. So, in this situation, we kind of... Uh, locked <laughs> after the lockdown or during the lockdown and i would say for the mental health of the nation is not a very good you know situation because uh, you know the message that ukraine was betrayed by the west or that ukraine you know is is set on the sidelines of the process or ukraine will get the vaccine very late and therefore we are like third sort citizens well this propaganda is also very widespread And of course, it basically meets understanding or empathy from many Ukrainian citizens, unfortunately. So uh, uh, let me ask you, uh, you are following the international relations. Does Ukraine really have a chance to get this uh, Western vaccine? Because there is a talk about Pfizer. There was also a statement by the Ukrainian deputy prime minister who was saying that up to the 13 countries of the EU are ready to share some surpluses of the vaccines that they, they have for Ukrainian population. Yes, indeed, there are different developments when we look to the West and Ukraine and the vaccine issue. Yes, the short answer would be yes, Ukraine can be can expect that Western vaccines will come to Ukraine. Uh, however, uh, this all is a matter of time and now more so than previously thought because The first expectation was that Ukraine would receive its first vaccines from the COVAX fund, and indeed it is going to be so, but the number is going to be quite minimal. It will suffice only for around 60,000 people, given that everybody will have to get two shots, uh, which is really a drop in the ocean. Let's remind that there are still 40 million people in Ukraine. Oh yes, so that is going to be only a drop in the ocean. And Ukraine has already announced uh, the vaccination plan, at least when it comes to the vaccines that are going to be gratis. Uh, that first of all, medical workers, medical staff and the fighters in the east of Ukraine would be vaccinated. So that is not going to be a widespread campaign for the time being. And the next 
next step that Ukraine hoped very much for was obtaining the surpluses that the European states would have of their doses and use those vaccines to vaccinate Ukrainians. However, the Europeans these days have their very own issue with the vaccine because different manufacturers like, for instance, AstraZeneca, they are not living up to their expectations with the quantity of their vaccines that they had promised to procure to the European states, uh, which is why there is a reportedly about three months delay with the delivery of vaccines to the EU itself. So Ukraine will need to, to wait for those surpluses if they eventually come to be for even a longer period of time. So, yes, of course. However, in the meantime, developing your topic of the disinformation, this does not mean that Ukraine should necessarily turn to the East and try to, to look for the substitutes in the meantime. Because, yes, there is a Chinese vaccine a good amount of which we already are reported to have procured, and also there is Russian vaccine, but let's not uh, forget that all of them, of these variants, are uh, reportedly so far less efficient than those produced by the West, by AstraZeneca, by BioNTech, Pfizer, and so on. So it still makes sense, even with the delay, to primarily look to the West. Yes, there can be some situational resorts and so on and so forth, but West is our seems to be our answer to this challenge. Yeah, let's not forget still that there is a huge propaganda going on, and of course all these people of whom we will talk a little bit today as well are saying that Ukrainian government is killing its citizens because it doesn't want to get the Russian vaccine. But you mentioned the European Union and speaking about Ukraine's relations with the EU. What are the dynamics these days, Maxim? Well, uh, Ukraine and the EU are currently trapped, in the best sense of the word, uh, between the two significant uh, summits be between the summit of the October 2020, which was quite a, a breakthrough for the Zelensky administration, and the uh, Association Council, which is going to take place, I think, even in a week's time. So, the Association Council is going to look in the stance of the implementation of the decisions that were reached during the 2020 summit, and the agenda for that is very ambitious, because Ukraine seems to be having an ambition to cooperate with the EU in the host of uh, spheres. This among others, are the update of the association agreement, because the five years have passed, during which, according to the agreement itself, it could not be updated. Now it can be, and the European side finally signaled at the 2020 summit that uh, they are also ready to talk this update. So Ukraine allegedly is going to this association council with a plan for what we want to see updated, and reportedly that is going to be ambitious. This is going not only to be about the increase of quotas, and so on and so forth. This is also going to be about the update of different um, chapters, of the entire chapters in the association agreement. This is going to be about Ukraine's accession to different European initiatives, like the European Green Deal, where we are very ambitious, because when compared with many other things that we just acceded to, the European Green Deal is something that appeared when Ukraine was already ambitious about the EU. And we have the chance to start something simultaneously with the EU. So this is quite an ambition of Ukraine in this sense. Also, we're going to be talking about the conclusion of the so-called industrial visa-free regime, because this is also something Ukraine has been pushing forward in the relations with the EU for a very long time. And again, in 2020, the EU finally agreed that, okay, we'll send a mission, an assessment mission for you to be able to apply for this process with the EU to conclude this agreement. And so finally, the, this mission will be talked through at the upcoming uh, Association Council. And the last issue, which unfortunately is not going to take 
take place at this association council, but still is going to hopefully be not so very far away, is the conclusion of the common aviation agreement. It is a long and interesting story in several aspects. That's a saga. I think it lasts yes. for uh, I don't know yes. a decade, and I'm afraid that probably in some ten years we'll be still t- is sitting here and saying that. <laughs> Look, we hope that association council of the 2031 will have this common aviation area signed. An interesting thing about it is that it's the European fault that we're not signing it. It's uh, their bureaucracy because Ukraine has been ready reportedly to, to sign this agreement uh, for a good five years from, from what I hear. It's because previously the Europeans had their issues with Britain, who was leaving the EU. They did not agree on Every, well, there was an issue around Gibraltar, so this agreement could not be um, could not be concluded between Ukraine and uh, the EU. The last news is that it is going to be done in March, not at the association agreement, but not there is not so much time left until reportedly it will be signed. So let's hope for the better. So that's in a nutshell, or maybe not so much in a nutshell, uh, about Ukraine's relations with the EU, and it can appear from this description that the European choice is unequivocal for Ukraine. It's being westbound is the natural choice. However, domestically, battles for Ukraine's foreign policy orientation are more fierce and not so evident. So take, for instance, the news that hit the headlines in the last couple of days. Pursuant to President Zelensky's uh, decree, the work of the three Russian TV channels was blocked for their reported cooperation with terrorist organizations in the east of Ukraine and they are being financed from Russia. Can you elaborate on the broader picture? What are the channels in questions? What are their ties with Russia? And how clean, in the legal sense, is President Right, so this is, uh, we are talking about the media empire of Mr. Viktor Medvedchuk, who is a very long-term partner of Mr. Putin, Russian president, even to the fact that he basically, Medvedchuk can be considered as part of Putin's family because Putin was a godfather of, of his daughter. So Medvedchuk is somebody who is traveling quite often to Russia, who doesn't hide his pro-Russian sentiments, who doesn't hide his... Uh, his basically idea that the biggest threat to Ukraine is not Russia, but the West. And recently, Medvedchuk, through his affiliates, basically after the Revolution of Dignity, gradually they were creating a media empire. So the three TV channels that you mentioned officially are owned by a Medvedchuk's partner, a member of parliament who is called Kozak, Mr. Kozak. And, uh, well... The media are saying, of course, that Kozak is a kind of a technical figure and these channels are most probably linked to Mr. Medvedchuk. The problem is that Medvedchuk is definitely somehow very sympathetic to Russia and, uh, you know, having relations to the Kremlin, to the aggressor state, basically, for Ukraine. And uh, this media policy that he's doing and his party, let's not forget that he has a party, of um, political party, which is called Opposition Platform, platform for life, which is now the leader in Ukrainian polls. So it is now the most popular party in Ukraine. It's even higher now, more popular than even Servant of the People, Mr. Zelensky's party. And it's more popular than Mr. Poroshenko's party. So basically, we are seeing a gradual, you know, creeping 
pro-Russian revanchism. And this is very dangerous, of course, in a country which is a, a target of Russian aggression. Now, what these channels are doing, they are news TV channels. They are not, you know, commercially oriented channels that are uh, that are providing entertainment co- content, TV series, movies, reality shows. They're just, you know... almost like three TV channels, not one, but three of them, like clones of each other, they are making these basically anti-Ukrainian and anti-Western propaganda. They are saying that all pro-Western reforms in Ukraine are bad, they aim to kill Ukrainian people, Ukrainian government, first Poroshenko government, now Zelensky government, are fascists, so they are killing Ukrainians through this, you know, what they called tariff genocide, meaning the increase of gas prices and the word genocide is used and abused. Now, that's what's happening. And uh, the question is whether we can really consider these TV channels uh, in the terms of, you know, uh, logic of freedom of speech. Is it a really genuine freedom of speech which is produced? I mean, are there really a platform for, you know, objective exchange of opinions, kind of a unbiased look at what's happening? The answer, in my opinion, is no, because they are really a tool of propaganda, very aggressive propaganda, which with the aim to prove to Ukrainians the pro-Western vector is uh, is wrong, that you should go away and go away from the West, and they're saying that Ukraine is governed by Western's curators, and Ukraine is under Western external governance, so Ukraine should turn away from the West, probably, well, of course, they're saying that they're Ukrainian patriots, but... You know, when you when you understand who Mr. Medvedchuk is, uh, you understand that, well, he basically means that Ukraine should turn back to Russia. Even after those events when Russia was an aggressor and is an aggressor against Ukraine and uh, at least 15,000 people have died and o- o- over 1.5 million have left their homes because of this war in eastern Ukraine and because of annexation, illegal annexation of Crimea. That's what's going on. Another another interesting thing is that a part of these Medvedchuk guys, there are also other people related, connected to, for example, not exactly to Russians, but connected to Ukrainian oligarchs like Mr. Kolomoisky. And in the servant of the people faction itself, when it was, you know, winning the parliamentary election in 2019, there was this Trojan horse of, you know, several dozens member of parliament who were loyal to Kolomoisky. So, so one of them is Mr. Dubinsky, who is very kind of a known and notorious for, the, for his very aggressive rhetoric, for his absolutely hatred to any um, political correctness. There are There is a bunch of telegram channels which are spreading also this kind of propaganda. It's all the same. It's all about, you know, external governance by the West, the greedy Western banks, uh, greedy Soros who wants to take off all Ukrainian lands and all U- Ukrainian black soil. So it's this kind of propaganda. Why I'm mentioning Dubinsky? Because Dubinsky was put under sanctions by Americans because he was involved in all these, you know, scandals at which he wanted to show that, you know, Biden uh, was trying to get his corrupt or by the son of Biden was trying to get his corrupt benefits from Ukraine, etc. Now Dubinsky is expelled from the faction, uh, servant of the people, and Zelensky is in clear war with Medvedchuk. That 
that means that it is kind of a in, very interesting development because it can mean, you know, further crystallization of the oppositions in, in Ukrainian politics. We see clearly the anti-Western bloc, which is opposition platform for life, pro-Russian, and then parts of, you know, these Kolomoisky MPs. And then people like Shari and Shari Party. This on the one side. And on the other side, we see pro-Western party, Poroshenko's European Solidarity, Rolos, but also Servant of the People, which in 2019 was trying, you know, to balance and, and say, well, we are not pro-Western, not, neither pro-Western nor pro-Russian. But now they they need to take sides, finally. Yes, and when we speak about this fifth column, we should understand and remember that a part of it is invisible. Because, for instance, in the last uh, several weeks, I believe there was a development when the SBU, the security service of Ukraine, uncovered an entire network of uh, telegram channels, of anonymous telegram channels, which have for years been one of the most popular among Ukrainians. They had like thousands, tens and, th- and maybe even hundreds of thousands of subscribers. But they still were anonymous. They were therefore considered like credible information sources. And in each case, the information sources that were interesting and people wanted to read them. But it turned out that eventually they were puppeted from uh, from Russia through, interestingly enough, Transnistria. And so it eventually was like a game, an invisible game led by Russia against against Ukraine on the informational front from this side as well. So Ukraine really needs to be cautious in this sense. Yeah, of course, we know about these TV Telegram channels. Telegram, uh, you know, is also a social network which comes from, basically, from Russia as well. And it is much more closed and non-transparent than Twitter, Facebook, or even Vkontakte. So, it really popularizes all this anonymous anonymity. And understandably that for Russia, probably, when Mr. Duro was creating Telegram, it was, he was probably thinking of a new social network will be which will be a vehicle of kind of a democratization, because people can exchange opinions in an authoritarian state without being being afraid of the fact that they will be persecuted, right? But then it was immediately hijacked by the Russian authorities and making a bunch of anonymous telegram channels who are spreading this propaganda and then spilled over to Ukraine as well. So, yeah, this is a, a whole network. We all know these telegram channels and the message that they were promoting is the same, that uh, Ukraine is under external governance, governed by the Sorosata, meaning Soros kids or Soros piglets. And uh, what Esbu is saying, we don't know whether it's true or not, whether we can trust it or not. But intuitively, uh, of course, we understand that there are obviously some links. And a huge popularity of these Telegram channels is also a big question because we at Ukraine World are studying, are are searching these troll armies. And last year we proved that, for example, on Twitter, all these actors who are active on Telegram, they are also active on Twitter, Mr. Medvedchuk, Mr. Dubinsky, uh, all those, you know, former Yanukovych allies like Andriy Portnov or Olena Luka. They are using a lot of troll armies on Twitter. Twitter is very transparent, so it's very easy to prove. But we can make a hypothesis that if they're using these troll armies on Twitter, why can they use them on Telegram, for example? Why can they have these figures which are basically probably not real figures? So these are the questions we continue to asking. I think this is the time to finish our podcast. So we covered... uh, 
quite well a number of topics, both from domestic and foreign politics. Uh, my name is Volodymyr Yermolk, I'm chief editor of UkraineWorld.org and I'm joined by my colleague Maxim Panchenko, who is a journalist and analyst at UkraineWorld.org. Follow our, our podcast, follow our website, UkraineWorld.org, follow our podcast and in this format we'll be meeting with Maxim every month to take stock of the events that happened in Ukraine during the previous months. So, stay with us. Thank you.